In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, victory morning. Cleveland Browns win eight and five. Yes. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright. Right, Ian, I've got to pause you for a second, okay? This is all about Jack. I want the world exclusive here. Tell us, Jack, Delpit, you and Brad, some sort of tag team. People are not happy. Um, You know, what's going on? Brad breaks the news and you try and be cheeky and chuck a little secret, little article out straight away. Tell us from your side. Who actually tipped Brad off to the news? I'm going to say it's it's a certain Mr. Jack Duffin, actually. Um, Gave Brad the heads up a day before the news came out. I said, Brad, I've heard from a source. Um, I don't have many sources. I have one. Um, And (laughs) he, uh, he told me and he said, hey, Something's going on with Delpit. I don't think he's signed it. I don't have any numbers, but something's happening. And uh, I had an article scheduled for the 3rd of Jan um, about Delpit's extension because I was away for the last week, um, which you did cover on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've been writing like my contract articles for this entire um, year. And uh, yeah, I wrote the article and I thought, hey, better move this article up from uh, the 3rd of Jan to yesterday and drop that. Personally, people people aren't gonna like this. So anytime I don't agree with something the Browns do, I get an awful lot of abuse. That can be Conklin's extension in December in December two years ago. People were hating on me for criticizing the Conklin extension. They're not and what are they asking now? Get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. And I was like, wait, he's still on the guaranteed part of the extension you guys wanted. Um, and he's still got another year of that. So Here's my question. Not necessarily whether we agree or not. What was the benefit of doing the extension in week 14? Like, why did the Browns do it now as opposed to waiting? Let's let's talk more about that than whether we agree with it for now. So they're obviously feeling that he's, they want to get it done before he goes to free agency. So um, come middle of March, I think it's like the 15th, Whenever that sort of tampering period opens, that's when he can officially start chatting to team. All happens around the combine, um, but that's when he can officially have those conversations. So they wanted to make sure that with each of these players, with, hey, Charlie Hewlett in the past, they didn't want these players getting to free agency. They wanted to get the deal done now. Um, and free agency works for both sides because Delpit could go out and try to find a bigger deal. He might find out his market's actually smaller and comes back and signs um, a better number. And as well, the team can start looking out there and going, hey, there's these 10 free agent safeties. Do we want one of these guys instead? So it's an amicable one where you want to come to a a number where both sides are happy. um, But the advantage for the player is their money's guaranteed and they don't have to like risk it. And also for the team, they, they know they've got that guy under contract. They don't have to go into a potential bidding war or something like that. 
Do we know the any of the numbers in terms of breakdowns at all? I, I've seen a couple of them different floated out there. One of them was from a Jags fan, ironically enough. Do we know any of the numbers? So it's 36 million over three years, so 12 million a year. Um, the way they generally do contracts, that final year is just going to be a straight 12 million um, because it's usually the average per year is the final year in cash. Um, so I'd expect, I'm not sure how it's going to work because they can put some money into this year. Um, but it's effectively going to be a two-year deal worth 24 million, effectively fully guaranteed. Um, it might be like half a million of um, per game roster bonuses each year that aren't guaranteed or something, just in, if he's injured, but a million's not going to save much if he misses two years. Um, but it's one that, yeah, it's it's a two-year deal with a team option in year three, but 12 We're- million a year, which... Where does that rank him in terms of the top safeties in the league? 12th highest paid safety in the league. 12th. Okay, so pretty much after free agency, he'll likely be right around probably 13th to 15th, somewhere right at that middle of the pack because there will be a couple guys that are obviously going to come up above him. So, Paul, what do you got? Jack, how high does he rate as a safety? Um, Is he uh, a top 12 safety in the NFL? So He's one of the best LSU safeties in the league, right? It's a really hard thing to judge here because if we look at those first two games of the season, my God, he was phenomenal. Um, and anyone that wants to argue that is just delusional. Those first two games were amazing. Some of the best safety play I've seen from someone, um, especially the Browns, if not just around the league, lights out for two games. The issue is since then, missed tackles, 18.3%. So that's 56 out of 65. So one of the worst ranked safeties in the league in terms of receptions allowed. So that's targets. How many of them were caught by the opposition? 94.4%. He stopped one catch um, in since week two. Uh, and that's dead last in the NFL. That's kind of my issue. It's like, I look at him and he's not bad because lots of those targets, yeah, they've been caught, but they might've been for like one, two, three, four yards, which, is not a big concern. If you grab someone and they only get two yards on the catch, happy days, unless two yards is what they need for a first down. So I don't look at him and go, he's a bad player. I look at him and go, he's just above average. So we're talking like the, what would that be? You've got 32, you've got 64 starting safeties in the NFL. He's around that sort of 25 to 30 range. I I think that's a fair place to put him. So I think 12 million is excessive. Um, and the thing saw- with his tackling, Jack, he's had that issue since college. And when he was coming out in the draft, that was one of the big things. And even yesterday, we can talk a little bit about yesterday's game before he went out. He comes in and his technique is to me what's flawed. He's trying to shoulder everybody to the legs because you're right. If he gives up a reception on third and 14 for seven yards and tackles the guy short of the sticks, nobody cares. That's why sometimes statistics can lie. You know, numbers, uh, what is it? The whole women lie, numbers lie, I don't. Um, But the idea is, is the thing with Delpit is he seems to be in the right spot at times. He's just not always making the play. So maybe Jim Schwartz, because, Let's be honest, Jack. They're not giving him that extension unless Schwartz signs off on it. So if you trust in Jim Schwartz, you have to trust in the guy, him getting the guys he wants. Yeah, and it's one that 
I look at those stats and they're not the be all end all because if you took those stats as the be all end all, you would be saying don't extend Delpit. Not, I was happy with seven and a half million. Um, the safety class is quite different than we talk about tackles and other stuff in the past where trying to find a tackle in free agency is really, really difficult. Trying to find a safety is one of those spots where every year there's lots of good guys. Thornhill costs seven million a year. And that's why I was like, hey, he's probably a bit better than Thornhill, but he's not a world beater. Um, and that's why I was like seven and a half, eight million. I think that's a fair price. And even if he wants more than that, I think you can get an equally good player at that cost. All right. Um, and when last, they turn around. Last question on contracts. Does Delpit signing affect them in terms of signing JOK? Greg Newsom's the bigger one it affects. So Greg Newsom, he's done. Um, that he is not getting an extension in Cleveland. Um, I'd, I'd never say impossible. Bar, I'd say it's a nine, barring, 90, barring another move. Well, but there's not really anyone you can move because Denzel Ward's fully guaranteed through till twenty twenty, the end of twenty twenty five. Thornhill's got an, another year of guarantees. Delpit has two years of guarantees. This is the year we pick up the fifth of your option on on Newsom, right? Yep. Which I don't after think the do. third season. Yeah. I, I think they will be looking to trade him this offseason or let him play out this rookie year because 12.2 million for a slot corner, pricey. Yeah. And Cam Mitchell looks really good, which is awesome. Well, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about the secondary here as we're talking about the game because we're going to keep everybody to a nice trimmed up uh, podcast here. So we're not going too long per Paul. Paul, do you want to kind of kick us off going into the yeah. game here? We're going to go straight into the old classic style we do a podcast, but... Greg Newsom, as he's a friend of the show, we've talked about Jack Coughlin, who's also a friend of the show. So um, I'm a bit worried. He's played three years for the Browns. Is that correct? You're talking yep, about Newsom? So this is year three for Newsom, yeah. So once we're on the Super Bowl, he's done three years. Then we've got um, then we've got year four, which he'll play, or no? So it, it's what they want to do. So... You've got to decide by, it's like the 2nd or 3rd of May off the top of my head. It's just after the draft. They've got to decide if they want to pick up his guaranteed 5th year option for 2025. So not oh. for next season, for the year after. And they need to decide, hey, do we want to guarantee him 12.2 million? Um, which they've, they've done recently. They did it with Baker. They did it with Njoku. They did it with Wills. So they tend to do that. But you've got a big question there of, you probably want to extend Emerson, who looked really bloody great yesterday. If you told me that was the guy that we just paid twelve million to, I'd been over the moon. Um, he's probably going to get a massive deal. So it's one where if you sign Newsom, Greg, Greg um, Martin isn't getting paid. You can't pay everyone. Um, so uh, no, I, I think the way it's probably going is they probably don't extend Newsom, and either he plays the final year next year or they trade him. You get something in the 50 to 80 range, be really good. Then we go to the end of 2024 season. Thornhill probably gets cut so they can extend Emerson a year early. Um, and then the end of 2025, Delpit's guarantees are done. Ward's guarantees are done. And that's where you can suddenly start deciding what do we want the future of that position room to look like. Well, currently, right. we're testing the depth at corner. So... It's it'll be interesting. Corner and safety intertwined yet different. Jack, you got no issues not getting a first round pick and then letting them go in year five. 
So I think you'd have to trade him now, but I'd happily trade him now. I think Cam Mitchell's looked good. And then I would go out and say you get that Ian's pick sort of... Ian's face looks like a head. Cam oh, Mitchell in the slot has been just as good as Greg Newsom in the slot. Oh, Fuck it. It's a oh, fact. The red hair um, running into your brain. But I would go out and I would just draft another corner. Whether it's day five, sorry, round five or round three, I'm cool with that. Well, you want another hot, you want another hot take? Another corner. Newsom's better than Emerson. What? Have you seen that guy on the boundary? Yes, I have. I like I like Newsom's versatility better than I do Emerson. I see some flaws in Emerson's game. We um, can talk about Emerson's it. Emerson's not perfect. I've got no... Oh, I've got 15 minutes of the show left. I've got two quick questions for Jack on this Delpit question. Del, uh, who was your source for Delpit? Not willing to discuss that. Oh, I love Because my source tells me I, I'm not allowed to break news. So that's why when I got told the information, I didn't go out and tweet it. Um, and it's it's not the way we work. So he, the main reason he gives me stuff, um, he just says, hey, if, if you need to prepare an article for this. So like with the Watson stuff, he told me 15 minutes before it came out. Oh. And that just allowed us to prep an article for when it went live. I also Thanks. did bet the other side of the Steelers game and cash out um, before the game to make some money because I knew the betting line would shift. Uh, for the oh, record, we can now rule out Catherine Reich as his source because he specifically said he. So we know it's a male. We know it's a male. Good old All right, we've made it 15 minutes in this podcast. Friday, we haven't Friday, talked about Friday, Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, baby. Joe Flacco. Let's talk Flacco. Here That's better than Flacco. Just the fact that Browns are eight and five, the same record as Patrick Mahomes, who's been healthy all season, a better record than Josh Allen, who's been healthy this season. That is coaching masterclass. So Kevin Stefanski. And also Andrew like Berry Ross the building. The three of us are the wide receivers for the Chiefs right now. Hey, Jack, would you know how to line up on sides? Just curious. Yeah, you just stand just behind the big blue line. Uh, the blue line's not even official. <laughs> the ball was even behind the blue line. Uh-huh. He was a four. I'm like... Good God. That was an amazing I just, play. I had the Chiefs team total over 17 and a half. I'm like, this is beautiful. And I look and I go, he's a half a yard ahead of the ball. What a dolt. I think rather than before Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes start talking to the journalists, they, they should take a leaf out of a dear friend of you two, Hugh Jackson, and watch the tape. I'll watch the tape for him. However, I will tell you. In the NFL, and I think this happened recently with the whole lining up. I think it happened to Terry McLaurin at one point where you come over and you check with the official. And then what I think happened is I think when he checked with the official, he was good. I'd have to see the all 22. And then they moved the ball back. Because you see, I think there's a realignment. So it could be something where he read and Mahomes are correct. A lot of times with receivers, you'll see him they adjust. However, we got to talk about Joe Flacco. We got to talk about Joe Flacco. Guys, there's really not much else to talk about in the Browns offense. Yeah, we're not the OBR, which Jack's probably got another article going out in a few minutes. We're a Cleveland Browns podcast, so let's get on it. The offense, what are we going to give it out of 10? Jack's uh, Ian's face once again looks like a smashed up uh, mango face right a second. Jack, you want to start or you want me to start? I'm gonna start, I'm gonna say an eight here. Um, just because you score a touchdown in all four quarters of a game. That's pretty awesome. you got a QB going for 300 yards in a game. Three TDs, one interception. David Njoku, the balls on Kevin Stefanski to go for that fourth down, throw it to David Bell. 
Um, I think there is great chemistry between Joe Flacco and Kevin Stefanski. And uh, th- this thing is flying. Um, it falls apart at times, but a, call- a touchdown in all four quarters, that is pretty special. All right, Ian, this is your opinion. Your th- No, your moment to give your opinion to Jack. That That is completely opposite of what I thought Jack was going to say at first. And I'm a little bit just shocked and baffled. An eight? An eight, Jack? Are you mad? How many sliders did you put back? That was terrible. First of all, Flacco barely completes 50% of his passes. We have no semblance of a running game. We can't, our, our tight end, I will say, if we're talking coaching, I'll give you an eight because me, you, and Dupree could have caught that first touchdown from Najoku. There wasn't a defender within 23 yards of the guy. Beautiful play call for all the Kevin Stefanski haters out there. And I will say, I like what Flacco can do with the offense because as how many times have we said it, whether it was Brissett, whether it was Baker, Stefanski's offenses are designed to be in rhythm, on time, and throw to spots. And a 38-year-old, near 39-year-old quarterback, such as like myself, Joe Flacco, he's doing exactly that. That opening drive, that script was fantastic. The offense looked great. Then three plays, two yards, punt. Three plays, zero yards, punt. Three plays, one yard, punt. It wasn't until they got the um, the one that was the, uh, what's the Emerson play I'm thinking section? of? No, it was the, uh, the drive going at the end of the first quarter that put him up 14 nothing. where Flacco hit Cooper and then more for back-to-back. And then he had Najoku on the on the crosser, which was beautifully executed, beautiful design play. But then after that, interception, fumble, punt, punt, punt. It's like this offense gets stuck in the mud. And you know why, Jack? We don't have a semblance of a running game. And listen, I like Jerome Ford. I think he's a great running back number two. Kareem Hunt is, he will give you exactly how many yards that a play is designed to get you because he is not going to wiggle. He is not going to shake. He is going to hit the chest of whoever the defender is. So whether that's two yards, three yards, or four yards, that's all you're going to get. Strong doesn't know how to pass pro. That's why he's not in there often. The Browns running game is holding them back right now. I don't want Joe Flacco throwing the ball 50 times, 40 times, 45 times. That's way too many. I want him in rhythm, in structure. I want to establish the running game because the running game needs to give him the time he needs to throw the ball on the passing plays. And right now, teams are just kind of gearing back for the Browns to run the ball or to pass the ball. I would say I would give him maybe a six, five or six. The offense, I just think, looked, it was too stuck in the mud at times and we're just completely lacking a running game. The play action game was phenomenal as well. Just, Just on a side note, Really good. I think both the first two TDs came on it as well. All right. Paul's got to so, settle this. I'm and he stuck. can't go I'm, for a seven. <laughs> I'm going to seven. So, yeah, let's break this down. Um, I hear what Ian says about the poor accuracy completion rate. However, there was a total net yards of nearly 400. What do you want your offense to do, Ian? I, I would like to them to get, not get 25% of their total yards on the first drive of the game. You got to think about it, Paul. They had the drive that got them the touchdown uh, to start the game. And then they got the, the long play with the three nice plays that got them the score. Then they exchanged interceptions. Then the Browns fumbled. It wasn't until the third quarter when I believe it was what Anthony Walker that punched the ball out from, uh, 
Parker Washington that set him up. They still only went seven plays for 22 yards for a touchdown. Then they fumbled again, punt. Then uh, Lawrence threw the interception, which led him on a short field for a touchdown. The Jaguars were pretty bad yesterday. I know it talks about like hitting teams at the right time, and we're going to talk about that on defense. But that defense, I can understand having a good grade for. But at this point, even when we got the uh, the turnover on downs, at the Jacksonville 37-yard line, we got four plays, zero yards, and had to kick a 55-yard field goal. We couldn't even move the ball. It's because you can't run the ball. And listen, I, I know part of that I, is because I, the I left tackle and the right about. tackle stink. I thought the O-line was average. Is that fair, Jack? The, the tackles yeah, are miss, below average. You're missing three tackles in your starting center. It's not going to be good. Any word uh, on poachers, by the way? Tight end. Tight end was great, Ajuku. Yeah, he he's playing well. He actually caught the ball. And I will say, it is this is the first time in NFL history. I don't know if you can tell me another player who's seen this. Najoku, when he catches the ball, will slow down to let a defender catch him so he can throw him onto the ground. You ever notice that? Like, he doesn't try to run past him. He's like, all right, sprint up, slow down. You come here, come here. I'm going to grab you by the chest, plant you into the dirt, and then I'm going to go for 10 more yards. It's actually rather impressive. He is such a large, strong, physical specimen when he catches the ball. It is impressive to watch. Yeah. As Ian was so excited about that, it's my name on the podcast. It's a victory Monday. I am definitely going with an eight. Come on. Uh, Ian, stop being a hater. Stop being I'm a hater. not. We, do we need to be better at running the ball? The run game needs to be better, but I'm also not judging them harshly on how many players they're missing. And... They don't have a starting quality running back, which we both agree on. And I I give them a bit of a pass on that. So I can understand Ian's frustration, but it's an eight. Brilliant. Let's move on. Jack's got another OBR article to write in a few seconds. So defense, I'm going to go with, no, I'm going to let Ian go first this time and Jack uh, comment afterwards. I think anytime you have four turnovers, you know, which they did three, three interceptions in the fumble recovery, they held Jacksonville to seven of 17 on third down, fourth down, oh, and one. And obviously miles with the sack on the two point conversion. Um, I thought that the offense put the defense in some pretty bad positions. I'm not going to hold that kind of late in game garbage time touchdown against them. Overall, I thought the defense played good, not great. Like they have been, but the one thing I thought they did exceptionally well is they kept Travis Etienne under control. Cause I think this defense has shown that, that front four with, you know, Miles and Zadarius and Ogbo and Tam- Tomlinson, even Mo Hurst. And I think they're able to control the run game. So the defense, I would give an eight to just because overall, I thought they contained their best player in Travis Etienne. They made Trevor Lawrence uncomfortable all day, causing him to throw three interceptions. Yes, I know they scored 27 points, but at the end of the day, I thought between the uh, fumble, the interception uh, and the late in game kind of, what do you um, prevent defense touchdown? I'm not going to hold the points against them. I would say an eight for the defense. Yeah, I think an eight is perfectly fair there. Um, it's one that usually you would look at four turnovers and give more, but I think there was parts that they could be better in. Um, but no, for me, eight's good. Um, Evan Ingram had himself a day against uh, a questionable safety that um, isn't worth 12 million a year. Um, but at the end of the game, we had DeAnthony Bell and uh, Ronnie Hickman. Ronnie Hickman did really well. So it's interesting to note that since Rodney McLeod went down, 
they've basically not wanted to use three safeties. They didn't want Ronnie Hickman out there just based on usage. He, he looked good to me. Obviously, I haven't gone back and really watched it finally just to judge his play, but just from the, the live first watch, he looked good. Um, interesting to note, Diabate was inactive. Probably someone that could be the odd man out for um, Joe Flacco getting signed to the 53, which I expect tomorrow. Um, it depends on Pochic, I would think, right? Because if Pochic... And even Delpit, there's some injury stuff. They may keep him around. They could put one. Of, uh, they would need to sign another safety because they'd be down to three safeties then. So that would be someone they would put on there. Um, certainly could be a route they go if Pochich goes on to IR. Um, e- um, Ika, probably playing a debut next week. Keep an eye on that because Jordan Elliott got a concussion. Um, so you'd expect him to go into protocol. Very rare to see a player come back with just one week. So... Uh, Keep an eye on a... Uh, Unless you're Derek Carr and you get two in three weeks and come back from both of them. No brain, no injury. All right, you want to make this easy, Paul? I'm assuming Jack had an eight, I had an eight. So are you going to go with an eight as well? Of course I'm going with an eight. All um, right, well, we'll make this easy on special teams. Ten! Ten! Ow! No discussion. The Bojo Jack. Bomber. Jack, when's the punter getting his extension? Ah. Oh. I, I I had him as the first multi-year extension uh, on the league year, and I, I would have done that before Delpit. Bojo, um, Bojo, Bojo is a beast. Bojo. I'm going to annoy in here. There wasn't a turnover on special teams. So if there's not a turnover or a touchdown on special teams, I can't give it a 10. I'm going to go for a 9 A 72-yard punt is a turnover, okay? It was a 72 yards backed up. He flipped the entire field. That would be like Joe Flacco throwing a hail mary from the go- the side or the goal line and getting it intercepted. A seventy-two yard punt is a interception in my book. Oh, also, three punts pinned. Three punts pinned inside the twenty. What well, Scottish Hammer's uh, longest punt for the Browns? Probably seventy. He had he had a cannon of a leg too, but I off the top of my head, I don't know. Did you see the uh, Chargers one? I did no, not. It, it, he punted from a five-yard line and went all the way into the end zone. A touchback? Oh, yeah. a banger. Is that J.K. Uh, JK Scott, the praying man is from Alabama? Is he punting Something for them like still? that. Yeah. He, if you want to watch a college punting, Ohio State, Alabama uh, that year, that guy from Alabama, the J.K. Scott, he was just missiles. But you saw when Bojo kicked it, it was a low missile. Um, but Hopkins made his field goal, four extra points, good return game, good coverage game. I'm saying 10. Yeah, Chargers punter, J.K. Scott with an 83-yard punt. The praying manis. All right, Jack, you go and write your OBR article. We'll leave you there. I've got, got, one, quick... I've got one quick question, Jack. Who's who's the third callback being assigned for the Browns practice squad? P.J. Walker is re-signing with the practice squad this week. There's, there's an exclusive for you. And it's a good move to bring him back, by the way. We like that. Bye. See you, Jack. All right, Paul, we're going to talk about standings in the playoffs. Go Browns. Paul, the Browns are currently sitting in the fifth spot for the wild card, meaning they are the number one wild card team. Who do we play against? They're eight and five. Right now, they would play against the Jags again because the Jags moved. So the, the Ravens are the one seed. 
The Dolphins are the two seed. The Chiefs are the three. Jags are the four. You tweeted out the Ravens versus the Browns schedules. Do you want to elaborate a little bit about that? Oh, I got all analytical. Start getting to some finer details. I know. I thought you were prepping us for it. The Ravens don't look great, do they? They got 49ers. They were so lucky yesterday as well. Yes. They did not get that illegal block in the back called on that punt. I thought the Rams were going to pull it out. Ravens have got 49ers. They play the Jags next week. The Jags next week on Sunday Night Football, I think. I think they're Sunday Night Football. Mm. They got the Jaguars. Let's see what else they got. They've got, I know, the 49ers, um, the Dolphins, and the Steelers. Yep. So they've hopefully Trevor Lawrence gets his ankle back. Um, I do think it hindered him a little bit. I, I still don't think he had a true ankle, high ankle sprain the way he was moving around. But yeah, they're, and the nice part is the Ravens have the Jags on the road, the 49ers on the road, and then they get the Dolphins at home. So it'll be interesting to see, but ultimately the the Browns schedule, we we finish up with the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals. All four of those games are winnable. I think we would agree, right? Yeah, 100%. Which one of those teams scares you the most? Uh, Houston. Houston, who just got boat raced by the Jets yesterday. Yep, they scare me. What do they scare you? Well, they're another. They're a, a seven winning seven team, and they could put a twist in the tail. As we say in England, it's a real six-pointer, but you don't really say that in um, American sport, do you? Obviously, you don't. Uh, but. You're talking about, yeah, the three-point each way for like a Premier yeah. League game. I will tell you this. The right answer is the Bears. The Bears, their record doesn't show, but we saw what they did yesterday to the, the Lions in terms of boat racing the Lions. And Justin Fields has been out for a good part of the season, so he was out for you know a number of weeks. He had a, a thumb issue. The Bears are starting to come around. So during the season, they traded for Montez Sweat. And we'll get, we're going to do a show later on this week, obviously with being my Chicago Bears in the sense of I live here. But we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown show. But the Bears, with they added Montez Sweat in the middle of the season. Their defense has gotten better. And now Justin Fields and that offense are starting to put up some points. You know, they have DJ Moore. Their, their running game is probably as putrid as the Browns is. But Cole Komet's starting to show up as a real threat at tight end, the kid out of Notre Dame from Arlington Heights. So I would be, I, I'm telling you right now, of all the four games left, the Browns' toughest game right now is against these Bears. I think the Texans are starting to fall back to earth and the Jets, they stink. Mm. Um, Ian, where did you watch the game yesterday? I was at home for the game, which was lovely. Um, and then actually I watched the last half of the fourth quarter on my way to swimming with Santa. So the the wife and I took the little one to her swim class thing where they had a little special thing where Santa was there and my my little one likes to uh, go in the pool with daddy, as she say. So we hopped in the pool. Was and, Santa wearing a sexy little bikini? Uh, thankfully, he was not. Um, he was your traditional Santa-looking man who stayed, you know, in the corner kind of away from everything. But yes, no, it was good. It was her first, kind of first exposure to a Santa. And, you know, she gave him a high five. She wasn't too keen on the pictures. Uh, she's a little too big time for him. I went to the Cotswolds, a little village pub. I saw that. How was it up there? In the middle of um, the Cotswolds. 
Um, so for an American, explain when you say the Cotswolds. Are we talking something out of a Harry Potter book? What are we talking here? Yeah, it's all Harry Potter stuff around there. But yeah, it's basically two hours from central London. There's a little village hall. And basically there is a group of 10 to 20 Browns fans in a village of like 200 people. And then, uh, yeah, just crazy. It, it's kind of incredible when you think about it, you talk about NFL and obviously over here, I think English people kind of judge Americans for who they claim their, their EPL team is right. They're like, Oh, who are you a fan of? They're like Liverpool. And you're like, Oh, well, it's off. Like, and the reason that they're fans of whatever team it is, isn't because they have some allegiance or something like that. It's because, you know, maybe they like, Sal- you know, Salah or something like that. There's always some like inter- non-personal connection. I would be really curious to know how in a village of 200, there's 20 Browns fans in the Cotswolds. I would, I would love to hear that story. We should get one of the, like the, the Browns backer of that area on the podcast. I would love to talk. You know, to I have actually got one of them on the podcast before. Maybe you should go back and listen to it and listen. If you can tell me when it was, it was clearly before my time. Yeah. It's before your time, but um, it was a great time. They were singing football songs translated to American football, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, all good. Um, I need to shoot off. It's been great to catch up with you, Ian. Yeah, hey Paul, we're we're leading the we're leading the pack for the uh the wild card. And like you mentioned, if the Ravens stumble on two and the Browns maybe go three and one to finish, and the Ravens go one and three. Here we go, Ian. If the Browns match the Ravens, do we go above them? Well, we split the head to head. So they have one, we have one. I'd have to look at, I believe divisional record is the second. So if you give me a second, let me see if I can pull up. We lost the Steelers. We lost the Ravens. So our divisional record is three and two. Their divisional record is three and two. So we would then beat the Bengals and they would then beat the Steelers. So let's say both of us finish at four and two. Then we go to conference record. The Browns are six and three in the conference, the Ravens are six and three in the conference. Well, they have games versus the Jaguars, the Steelers and the dolphins left where we have games, obviously against the jets and the Bengals. So we would actually have one extra, uh, say we go two and zero in the, in the conference and they go three, they was, they'd have to have the same number. We'd play the same number of divisionals. The Jags, the Dolphins, and the Steelers. No, oh, they might play one more. Paul, it's a crapshoot. We're going to have to get the uh, the the khaki pants guy, Kornacki, in there to figure out what would happen. But there is a chance. There is a chance they could win the division with oh, the mighty oh, Jack Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>